ride with me in my foul life. Podcast world, what's up? Back at you. The Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much again. We are getting a lot of direct messages on the guests that you're hearing and topics that you want to hear. We're going to keep bringing it to you. I'm so excited about this series we're doing right now, The Essentials of Duck Hunting. We've been having several different guests on it. Today, we are talking to another outfitter, a guy that makes his living in the outdoors. You heard his dad on here a couple episodes ago go the guy that we call the mo the og the master outdoorsman dave stanley who i think is like the renaissance man of hunting and then we refer to his son john david as the killer the sweet guy but the killer that can absolutely kill any animal with his vocalizations and replications of the jargon and the vocabulary of wild animals so we're going to keep this theme going with the essentials of duck hunting the essentials of goose hunting the essentials of all around waterfowl being consistent and experiencing success in the field today's episode is brought to you by our friend at Gerber Knives. You know what we think about Gerber. You know what we think about staying sharp. We don't leave home. We don't have trucks. We don't have blind bags. We don't have anything that doesn't have a knife in it readily available to build a blind, to cut rope, to process game, to butcher game, to cut meat off of that bone, whether it's an elk or whether it's a deer, an antelope, a duck, a goose, a turkey. We're always thinking with that provider mentality and living off the land and being partnered up with Gerber, made in America, made in the USA, made in Oregon on the West Coast. They are an absolute iconic brand, and we're so proud and humbled to be part of their family. So check out Gerber Knives and all of the different vast majority of just a huge selection that they have for the hunter, the fisher, the outdoorsman, the camper, the hiker, whatever it is. Stay sharp, America, and always remember to carry your Gerber with you. Today's guest is none other than a dear friend of mine john david stanley coming at you from texas where he guides goose hunts in the fall and early winter after he leaves alaska catching salmon on the streams up there john david how are you brother i'm good bud how are you i'm doing good good you look good buddy you been working out no well i mean just yard work <laughs> only thing you can do right now you said right? no yeah the quarantine's got you all cooped up in texas huh yeah do you yeah, like it fun. do you like the quarantine no it's not good, huh? No. It's good it's in a couple. For... It's good because it makes us value what we have. When it's gone, taken away from us like this, it makes you go, damn, I need to quit taking stuff for granted. Yeah, it's good. You know, I mean, it's, you know, all this uh, COVID stuff's scary for people like myself that make our living in an industry that's people's extra money. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, they just canceled – uh, brown bear season in Alaska. The whole thing, huh? Shut it down. So I'm I'm concerned that same is going to happen with fishing season because Alaska is going to get hit worse, the worst when people start traveling there. Um, just know, because of the the the, the amount the, of hospitals the, there are and people just well, can't find medical attention. No, just the influx of people from all over the world. You yeah. know, if they lift all this quarantine shit and people start traveling, like people are still going to be carriers. People are still going to have symptoms and they're going to pass that on. And that's how it's going to get really bad in Alaska. I fear. Um, Cause obviously it's fairly remote where I'm not, it's not where I am is not super remote. It's on the highway system, but that's also why there's so much foot traffic there. You know, it's yeah. uh so when do you think you'll know by, when would they do that by to give people the, the notification? I, I don't know, man. They keep pushing these, these quarantine dates back and, and pushing us back. And I'm, I don't, I don't know. It's stressful because that's how I make 
half of my yearly income. Yeah. Crazy to think that you cannot go to in the outdoors. You can't travel somewhere to catch a salmon on a river. That's how, that's how serious this deal is. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Don't like I mean, it at all. well, I mean, and then not just me, you know, I mean, and there's a lot of fishing guides up there, but like I feel for all the hunting guides all over, you know, I mean, I was supposed to be guiding turkey hunts and hog hunts here yeah. right now. And has Texas closed down non-residents from coming in to hunt turkeys? Um, no, they're starting to approach that. Um, you know, Nebraska yeah. did it the other day for yeah, turkey season. The, the, the governor's starting to approach that because one on our border, uh, Louisiana has such a, is such a hot spot for it right now. They're, they're discussing doing that you know, and shutting, shutting that down. I, I mean, we'll just, we'll see, man. But I mean, it's, it sounds like it's, you know, from talking to you before we started, like, you know, it's, it's the same story everywhere. Like there's no hustle and bustle anywhere. No, like, it's just, it's other, other than, other than the farmers, you know? It, yeah. I mean, farmers are used to isolation. Hunters are used to isolation, but there's still that sense of, is there an end in sight? And the new reports are saying that the worst is yet to come and that we're going to see a lot more deaths in the next 10 to 14 days. And it's just scary to think about your grandparents or older generation that are more susceptible to it after the age of 65. And you think, you know, I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to be that guy that I could have a get together out here tonight with eight people and stay six feet away, but I'm not going to do it. I mean, one person might be cool and the office might have one person in it at a time. But, you know, everybody's got to do their part so this thing goes away faster because guys like you, guys like me making our money, I, there's so many people out of work from restaurants to bars and outdoorsmen like yourself. It's the, it's scary. The whole service industry is shut down right now. Yeah, it's a and weird time. I consider and, myself part of that. I mean, it's no different than bartenders and, and servers and anybody that that's how they make their money. You know, I mean, it's 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 not good, man. It's It's really not good. And, you know, the other concern is, is, is then turns from my standpoint is to my clientele, the, that's their extra money. That's their corporate write-offs. That's like, all that stuff's going to go away because everybody's losing right now. Every, every, I mean, the stock market's tanked. Like it's It's terrible. uh, Think about the, think about the Coronos and buying all those casinos from Caesars Palaces now and all of them are shut down. No yeah. revenue being generated. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? Let's talk about something fun. Let's. It's. I mean, I'm telling you, you will turn on the news and it's this. It's, but it's 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 part of it. It's current event type of situations, and it's what's going on in America right now. And we just have to come out of it stronger, and you know, just more focused than ever. And I think that we're going to group together as a culture and a community and as a country and. A culture, a community, and a country. That's all C's. It's called alliteration, John David. Alliteration. That's part of jargon. Illiteration? <laughs> Alliteration. Or alliteration. Oh. <laughs> Illiteration. <laughs> so how was your season? Season was good, man. It was it was different for sure. You know, we got um we had a really good season overall, but it uh as far as bird numbers wise, it was it was strange. We got a lot of birds at the beginning of the season there right around Thanksgiving and then our weather just kind of planed off and and stayed super warm um never really got any big storms you know we that one big storm hit the front range of Colorado which would have been the perfect storm for us because a lot of our geese come down the front range and then they come down to Amarillo and then push east and they come through Kansas and that 
But what was weird about that storm is that storm was so big when it came across the bottom, the, the southern tip of that storm spun up and came up from the south. And so we had warm air here and it got trapped and we ended up with, you know, they dumped two feet of snow on the front range and across Nebraska and Kansas. And we ended up with fog for three days, four days. Ugh. You couldn't see a hundred yards. So the geese couldn't push, yeah. you know? Um, but it was all in all, it was a good season. It was different. You know, our cranes, I mean, just to give you an example, like we crane hunt quite a bit, um, particularly in December and January. And, uh, our cranes never really showed up. And then I talked to friends in Kansas and they had them, they had cranes at Cheyenne bottoms all year, which is unheard of. You know, at some point, usually it freezes because when it freezes hard, cranes leave. Oh yeah. You know, what, I mean, it, what is, what, is there anything cool about hunting cranes and be honest with me? I know you're a caller and I know that you're a goose hunting bastard and a mallard machine, but cranes, come on, dude. They're super fun. Come on. It's like shooting pterodactyls, man. Exactly. But not only that, it, they're delicious. They're not as good as a speck. No, they're better. Are they really? Yeah. Swear, I've had them one, like, I've I, had them one like, time and I would totally disagree. Like, I swear by that. Who cooked them? I don't, I think your dad. Did you, did you send some home to your dad or did Sabine no, bring think, some back? I think we ate them all here. I've never shot at a crane. Never decoyed a crane, man. It's, it's similar, you know, bringing it, bringing it home for an example would be, it's similar to shooting swans. Like it's, it's hard to believe that a bird that big is possible to miss. (laughs) Decoying. Oh yeah. What's, what's the limit of cranes per guy in Texas per day? Is it one per season or how does it work? Three per person per day. Oh, you can kill that many of them. Yeah. You have out of state guys that'll group a, a group or book a group to come and just shoot specifically cranes. We have lots of groups that do that for real. So yeah. it must be a legit deal, huh? Oh, and and when they decoy, like, man, it's it's they're awesome. They 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 really are. There they're, is they're, no way you're going to persuade me that they are. They're, awesome. they're super. They're super super intelligent. They're in in ways in their own ways, right? Um. Their eyesight is phenomenal. So you got to be blinded up good. You use panel blinds on the edge or how are you hunting them? Um, we'll hunt them on edges with, with blankets and chairs or at a, um, we have some blinds that we have built that we use that are completely enclosed. So but like you know, a panel I mean, blind? Mm-hmm. Well, similar. They're on their trailers. You just drive them out there and drop the axle and they're already brushed up. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Then you just step up onto a flatbed and you're in a blind. You, you sit sit on chairs inside the blind, and the whole front face of the blind falls out, falls really? open. Really? Yeah. So what about the retrieving of these cranes, these dinosaur-looking pterodactyls? That your dog doesn't get them, does he? I don't take my dog. No. Um, it's kind of dangerous, would it? Couldn't they just beat the piss out of a dog? Well, they can take their eyes out, but you know, Rexpex makes goggles for dogs, and and if you don't in my personal opinion, people that have dogs that don't put eye protection on them are ignorant because I've seen, I've seen a set of goggles ruined in a day to where a dog can't see out of it. Are you talking about with ducks, geese and everything or just cranes? Just cranes. I mean, it's probably a better idea to run them depending on what you're hunting in. 
You yeah, know? if you're in a dry, I've seen geese beat the shit out of dogs. Right, but but they don't have a sharp bill. No, I mean that pointy bill. I mean and, that's going to go through and just in, you know just cut right and, into them. Cranes are so I don't use a dog. Um, you know, I have some friends that do, and they, their dogs do fine. You know, you need a strong-willed dog to do it. That's for sure. I don't think it's really strong-willed. I think that most dogs are just like, oh, I'm not picking that thing up. What are you doing shooting this thing? I'm totally well, no, kidding. I mean, I'm so, totally kidding. I just can't believe that you're. I mean, it's just. I just can't see what would be fun about it. I don't. Do they? Do they? Can you call them? I know that you're making sounds, but do they respond to calls and like comeback calls and that kind of thing? Or do you literally just have to be where they were feeding the day before? Can you call at them and intercept them from going to the X and get their attention and bring them over? Or how does it work? Sometimes. Barely, right? You know, I mean, I would, in ways, I would compare it to try it. I would compare it to running traffic on snow geese <laughs> um, without an e-collar. Right. Right. Like, so you're just it, hollering it, at them as much as you can, making as no, much. No, but, but you but you don't make that much noise. The key with them is the decoys. The key is 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 realism, man. Who makes like, a crane decoy? Deception. Is that the only one? Oh, dive bomb makes silhouettes, um, and then a lot of guys. Well, we used to have seventy five stuffers that we hunted over. That'd be kind of cool. Going yeah. back, going you know, back, like crane, crane wreckers. Brian Lee Baker. He he um, he he hunts over all stuffers, I believe. Is he a Texas company? No, he's uh, crane wreckers out of Oklahoma. They're Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Going back to the storm in the front range. How did you hear, or what did you hear about front range goose hunting this year? Was it on fire? What what was it like this year? Did you hear anything out of the front range? Did you talk I mean, to the Roths or anybody? I did. I, 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 I didn't, I talked to Clint once, I think. Um, but you know, I talked forest lives up there and, and I got buddies, you know, one of the guys that guides with me, Cody crowns, he, uh, he's from up there. So all his buddies were hunting, but it was, it sounded, it sounded spotty to me. Like when it was good, it was great this year. Cause they had geese like for a while they had it when, um, later in the season, they got that. Yeah, what I think it was was the reverse migration, but there was a while there um, where it was it was like it was when you and I were guiding there. Like it was, it, it was got, good. It did. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I saw videos. I didn't talk to him, but uh, you know, I saw videos. Jeff Colwell was posting, and it, it was it was impressive. Yeah, there was a lot of geese there at times. Um, you know, I know Clint had a good season, but you know. That's kind of what. What is the name of Clint Ross Company now? Western Waterfowl Outfitters, I believe. Is he still doing it? Is his brother still involved on that? Clint and Jared are running it, I believe. Not their dad. No, I don't think. I think Jim's done. I think he's retired. He is. Um, so I, I, yeah, I heard the same thing in front range is that, that it was spotty. It was spotty, real spotty throughout the year, but there was a run there that they just got covered up and them in the lesser hunting got unbelievable. 
Mm-hmm. Are you guys killing a lot of lessers in that part of Texas, or is it mainly that's all, specs? That's all, that's all we kill. Is le- well, I mean, yeah, we kill a lot for of specs. Canada geese. A lot that, of lessers. Okay. Do you see a lot of lessers down in that part of Texas? We do. At times this year, we didn't because of the storm patterns and and the weather. I mean, we had we had enough. Where are but, you exactly? Explain to me on a map of America, if a map of Texas. If you have the panhandle of Texas, the little the little small part up top that runs into okay. western Oklahoma, right? So, right, it runs into western Oklahoma. So you have Lubbock. You know where Lubbock is? Okay, so f- go from Amarillo on I forty. Well, you go south from Amarillo to Lubbock. Okay. And then I'm dead center in between, halfway in between Lubbock and Dallas. It's two hours to each place from where I am. Two I'm, hours. I'm 99 miles south of Oklahoma. 99 miles south. How far south are you from Amarillo on I-40? Mm, I don't know. I've never driven there. You um, haven't? No. Three and a half, four hours probably. Three and a half, four hours. So are you... Lubbock. Lubbock is known for rodeo, isn't it? Is it known for goose hunting? Is Lubbock kind of the hotbed of... of of where the Texas really got famous for lesser Canada hunting? No, it's where I am. Uh, I would say, I mean, Lubbock's, Lubbock's, Lubbock's good. Lubbock's, now, where are you at? What's your town called? Haskell. You're in, so is that in, ha- that's in Haskell County too? So that's west of Dallas. Mm-hmm. And that's where Benny Prince got famous with the Duck Commander videos. Benny, so that's where his- Benny Prince was just south of here. Actually, some of the uh, Duck Commander hunts that were done in texas are done on some of our properties oh really yeah because i that's i I hunted several times with benny down there with with phil and jason them and that's where you would be was in haskell so you you would have been just you were hunting probably southeast of here is there a guide service down there still called f and p i think that's who i know i think that's who we hunted with when i went down there one year wasn't that wasn't that benny's guide service no no this was a different one that was not, mainly, not to my they, knowledge, they, but they didn't know. really duck hunt. They were mainly goose hunters, goose guide service. So what makes it your operation run down there? Talk to me right now how important, when you talk about the essentials of duck hunting, goose hunting, waterfowl hunting, obviously the number one thing that we need to teach people or to talk to people about and try to educate people on is the location of first being where birds are. Now you can be a waterfowl hunter wherever you're from and you might not be in a hotbed per se of waterfowl where a ton of them you know congregate every winter every fall but you're going to have you know you have rivers in your area you have water in your area the chances of having waterfowl in your area especially with agriculture around you could you can get into some ducks and geese so with that being said no matter where you live but specifically kind of where you are in texas you guys have leases you guys are right you guys winter a lot of geese down there specks snows lesser canada's ducks how important is that the location and then go into scouting and how much, how many hours are you or your scouts spending behind the windshield and the steering wheel every day to find the next day's hunt and put these clients, you know, on an experience that they're going to go home and talk about because you can't just say, Oh, we're just going to go wing it tomorrow. How important is scouting? It's everything. I mean, it, it, it is anywhere. I don't care where you are, you know, um, the advantage that we have here is the area that we hunt would be similar to that of the Lahontan Valley, you know, where Stillwater and Greenhead are. It's small. 
um, in Nevada. It's, you know, so, so it's kind of, you got fish in a barrel, so to speak. They're, they're only, we're, we're, there's a little plateau here that, that they grow peanuts on and that's where the geese are. I mean, so scouting is important. You know, I mean, we spend several hours every day driving around one to four of us a day. Um, depending on how many groups we have, but the other advantage is, is, is what is the work that happens not during the season, but prior that my boss, Justin Hill does. And, and he, you know, I mean, he goes out, he'll be up here before too long once they start planting and he'll find out who's planting peanuts and he, everything here is leased. There's no knocking on doors. Like it's just, everything is leased. Everything so what, is leased between us and the Stanfields. That's probably 98% of the properties in this area are leased by. Who did you say you and the who? Stanfield. Oh, is that another guide service? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the name of your guide service? Ranger Creek Goof. Ranger Creek. Are they mm-hmm. the top notch one in the area? Are they the cream of the crop? We can hold our own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you're scouting? What do you have in your truck? I talk to everybody about optics and notepads and cell phone, obviously, and, and these apps and these maps. And do you, how important are optics? Let's just talk about optics. You use Vortex like I do. Mm-hmm. How important are your binoculars or even a spotting scope to a duck hunter, a goose hunter in not just finding birds, but finding where are they landing in a field? How far are you from the fence? Where is the entrance into the field? Where's the tree lines? You know, talk to me a little bit about what you're doing and what's going through your head when you're scouting. And you're a ma- I consider you a master waterfowl guide and hunter. So you have to understand or, or be able to tell people when I'm scouting, I, I have my binoculars and I'm looking for this, 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 and this. So the, the, the biggest thing that we do is, is because we're hunting every day of the season, we know where the geese are. Obviously we're spending a lot of time out there. Usually somebody's scouting while we're hunting because with this small pot of geese that we have here, relatively speaking, you know, between you figure between two and five groups of hunters are out hunting the same 40 or 50,000 geese every day. Right. So there's, you know, figure two to five feeds are getting hunted every day. So you have to pay attention to where the geese move to, or we do to where the geese move to because of pressure. And you have to pay attention to what fields they have been in prior whether it be small feeds that you weren't going to hunt or whether they haven't been there all year and they got pushed there because you know i mean you know as well as i do the first time a geese hit a field i am somewhat suspect of whether they're going to return there if they got pushed there because of pressure you know i'd much rather they have been in a place for a couple days that way you have some there's some imprinting that's been done on this property how much what's average for you to let a field build depends two to four or five days and, and what it just kind depends of- because we we fight both things here right like we are in a small area the geese there's only so many peanuts left over right after they harvest them so 
you don't want to let 10,000 geese sit in a field that you're not hunting all day or all morning and all afternoon and let, cause they'll feed it out in three or four days. So, you know, I mean, you have to pay attention to what's left in the field and how often you hunt it because of that, because you got it. Cause we have to conserve what fields we have all season, right. To make sure we have geese all year. It makes total sense. So you're telling me in your scouting now, you're looking for if those geese got pushed off their main feed, you're saying, well, where were they hunting? You know, where were they before? What, what I, I had a feed over here. It wasn't big enough to hunt, but now I'm going to go concentrate on that to see if these push birds joined up with them. Mm-hmm. I might be able to put a group on those tomorrow. What is the average amount of geese you will send a group out on that are paying you to take them goose hunting? Does it, can it be 500 lessers or does it have to be 5,000? No, it can't be 500. Uh, well, cause that could be one flock. It can, huh? it, can, it can late, late in the year, but not, you know, our mid, you know, Thanksgiving to Christmas, we most times probably won't hunt a field with less than 5,000 in it. And you're saying that you guys average winter geese, 50,000 is there at any given time. That's, that's as many that get there. What, what is, what is your peak? What has it gotten to that you've heard of in that area? Is it a half a million sometimes? Is the it highest I've ever heard of was in, man, I want to believe it was, it was when it was right around the time field was guiding in this area. Hodnell. Um, I want to say that between here and Wichita Falls, which is the Oklahoma border, there was, they counted over a million little Canada geese. Good night. That's probably over 10 years. That's 15 years ago, huh? Mm-hmm. It's been a and while. And so. practices, you know, it, it, not much different than, you know, the Stuttgart area. We're, we're towards the end of the migration. So farming practices have changed the way we hunt and not necessarily hurt us but just it, it's made i feel and i feel like justin would tell you that you know he we are way better goose hunters now than the goose hunters that were guiding here then because there's not the plethora of birds like it's just not the same numbers you know i mean oklahoma used to not even be on the map for goose hunting central kansas you know they had great duck hunting you know but all these all these winter crops that they're growing now all along the central flyway are just that and weather patterns changing you know the birds the birds don't have to come if they don't run out of food where they are you know oh there's a lot that goes into it i mean we've you know i mean a prime example is like look at the look at where i grew up hunting in stillwater marsh like when i was little there was eight or 10,000 little Canada geese that came there. So this is what, 28 years ago. And now there's none to amount to anything. None. Yeah. Maybe a hundred. They stopped coming. Yep. You know, I wonder why that is. They just stayed East. They had to have stayed East. There's no, there's no lessers West to there. Right. Or the East or West or who knows? Like, I don't know where they would have went West. I, I they had think, to join up with all those geese that stay on that on the front range corridor. 
that or they or they go over into the California basins. Yeah, you don't see a lot of lessers over there, though. Yeah, or they I stay would... in or they or they stay in Oregon and Washington now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's. I don't know how many lessers are. There's a there's a lot of lessers in in the that that could be to where they just don't leave the you know eastern Washington along, you know the Columbia Basin. There's always a lot of lessers in there. Right. Well, I mean, just in 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 my short time paying attention to weather patterns and that you know, and in, in my hunting career, so to speak, you know, I remember that after Thanksgiving, like the Martian Nevada used to be frozen up, solid. Now we have open water all year. Yep. We just don't get the same weather patterns. So, you know, if you follow the Pacific Flyway, a lot of our birds split at Klamath and come down the east side of the Sierras. Right? Yep. Well, now if they're just staying up there, like, and I mean, you're only talking, it's not like we're talking about a million birds disappeared. We're talking about 10,000. Yeah. You know, but also the farming practices changed in this, in the Stillwater Valley, Mohan Valley. Right. You know, there used to be a ton of grain and a bunch of corn and and now there's winter wheat a few corn fields here and there and very, very and, few corn fields and a ton of alfalfa huge hay production that's really huge what it production. that's really what it is all it is anymore i mean even if you go into you know if you go east of there and in into mason it's that's mainly vegetables now there's a ton of like agriculture for lettuce mm-hmm. and onions and stuff like that and radishes. So 100%. yeah, it's, it's, so, so talk to me a little bit about optics though. Are you using, are you depending on optics a lot as a waterfowl guide in, in scouting? Yes and no. Um, you know, where I really, I would say that they, they really help is our fields are generally extremely, extremely flat. There's very little um, elevation change in our fields for the most part, but you, because you hunt, you can't always hunt a fence row. You know, you can't, you gotta, you know, you just gotta show them different stuff. You can't do the same thing every day and be successful. In my opinion, you gotta keep the birds guessing because as my good friend, Eric Guggenheim told me, he goes, geese don't get smarter. They get conditioned. And that they makes perfect sense because if they constantly got smarter, we'd never kill them. No, they can't get smarter. How would they get smarter? But they get conditioned to seeing the same thing every day. Very true. Very well said by Guggenheimer. Is so, it Guggenheimer? Guggenheim. Guggenheim. Yep. I like um, that name. Yeah. You know, like the Guggenheim Museum. Yeah. I wish my last name was Guggenheim. Chad yeah. Guggenheim. <laughs> Tell him I said I want to take his last name. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It's you condition things because if and expect and that's what pressure does. Pressure does you as an outfitter, you have to manage your flock. You have to, you have to when you're scouting, you have to be going through all these the all of these different things that you're talking about as far as all right, we have this many geese in the area, there's this many groups coming in on on Thursday. We have to, you know, we have to figure out how we're gonna get these three groups on geese every day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday we got to make sure that we're not messing with the roost. We got to make sure that we're <laughs> communicating with our network. We got to have scouts out and boots on the ground. while one guides in the field, taking care of the clients on the actual hunt. There's so much that goes into that, but it all starts with that scouting and making sure that you understand where the roosts are, where the day loaves are. Is there an afternoon hunt? Are they going to come off of this body of water? Can you get them on a day loaf in the middle of the afternoon? Does that ever happen in that part of Texas where I've seen it happen in Kansas and Oklahoma and other areas? So there's all this stuff when you're scouting, that's where the hunt starts. 
start. So the essentials of that scout and the essentials of the duck hunt start right there of like, all right, the birds are in the area. The season's open. Now it's my chance to go out and find them and put my clients on a good hunt, on a good experience and using optics and a notepad and a cell phone and your network and these apps and maps and Google Earth and whatever it is. You got to give yourself the advantage. I mean, we're in the heyday of hunting right now. We have all of this at our fingertips, the best binoculars, the best decoys, the best calls. We have, we, we don't have an excuse to fail every day. It's about going out and applying this. So now the hunt starts with the scout and with your decoy spreads, are you, are you constantly needing to put out gigantic numbers? Cause I assume when you said most of your fields are flat, they're probably also really big, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, fairly large, you know, I mean, a big field for us is a quarter. So, you know, 40 acres, no quarter of a section. So that's, you know, about 640 divided by four. So it's bigger than that. Yeah, it's big. 640 you know. divided by four. Four goes into 800 two times. So it's about 150 acres, we'll say. I think, I'm yeah, really I think good it's at 160. Math. I think it's 160, um, 160 acres is a quarter. That okay, would be well, right. 160 acres. Yeah. So, so yeah, they're large. And that's a big field, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's not I mean, Canada, but that's big. But it's not it's not Central Kansas either. You know, I mean, similar similar in size, I guess. Different fields, different, I guess different, different country. I don't know if it's much size difference. That's a big field. It's exactly the same but different. It's almost the same but different. <laughs> <laughs> it's what was the name of that cologne and Anchorman? Something Sex Panther, Panther. Sex by Panther Odeon. By Odeon, it works. 100% of the time, 60 percent of the time, it works every time. 60% of the time. I, don't, oh, I love that movie. We're getting ready to do a podcast next week on our, our favorite comedy movies of all time. It's going to be Clay awesome. and Clint and I and Alex Crosby. So we're going to go through that and talk, talk a little smack. Um, so decoy spreads, big fields, 160 acres. Do you have to have 50 dozen out to, to kill geese there on a daily basis? What's average for a decoy spread there? For us? Yeah. No, for the guy sitting behind you. I'm doing this podcast to get the opinion of that. I know, statue but I don't want to give. I, I mean, okay, so okay, I don't, so I don't mind. I don't mind telling, telling me. But is you? it twenty? To, is it twenty? Is it over twenty dozen? Oh yeah. No, like our. No, you like, don't have to tell me. You don't have to give no, away the I'll secrets. I'll tell you. No, you don't. This is a. This isn't just telling me. This is telling. What was the name of the other company you said? Stackfield? Stanfield. Stanfield. That's the that's the guide service. I don't well, they might not listen to this. I have no idea who they are, but they might, they might, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um don't give away your secrets. So John David runs 37 dozen full bodies, 10 dozen uh silhouette apparatuses. And he puts five sprig so I'll, decoy. I'll, I'll tell you this. In each trailer that we have, we have available to us every day there's 180 to 200 dozen in each trailer so this is mainly silhouettes silhouettes and socks no full bodies at all i have full bodies you run full bodies i've seen your pictures you run our full bodies Mm -hmm. oh we're not supposed to talk about that you don't got i've got i think right now i have almost 1600 full bodies in one trailer? No. 
Oh, so you're talking about your whole operation, not just you. No, my personal full bodies. In I Texas, almost, you have sixteen hundred full bodies right now. Yeah, I've almost good freaking well, night. I got just under that. Sorry, fifteen hundred. That's still too many. You have is, you, you I got nine hundred snows, and I got six hundred FFD GHG lessers. Any specs? Not yet. You have issues, dude. You really should see a couch doctor. So decoys are important. You got to have the yeah. spread. You got to have the numbers. How early do you have to get out there to put this spread out? Man, when we're when we're setting up the silhouettes and that, um, you know, it takes with. I mean, our average group size is probably eight to twelve guys. So, an hour and a half to set up fifty to hundred dozen decoys. If and that. then how long? And then and then what? Do you have to take your pictures and get out of the field right away because you want the field to build back up? Are you in a rush to get out of there when the hunt's over? Depends. Um, er, early in the year, no. Um, because I don't want them in there eating all the peanuts or eating whatever's in there, right? Right. Because I mean, it's you know, I mean, our I'd, I'd have to look and I should look at it on Google Earth and measure the distance, but I'll bet you. That from the roosts, the two main roosts, which we, well, one, um, Justin owns part of, and the other one we lease, they, I'll bet you the average goose doesn't have to fly more than 10 miles to feed. Sometimes it's less than, most of the time, it's probably less than four from really? the roost. Yeah. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and like waterfowl hunting anywhere, you know, when we get wind, it's always better. You have to have wind. It's always better. It makes it nice. It makes it a lot easier. That's for sure. So when you're grinding like this, you're hunting every day, your gun becomes very important to you. Mm-hmm. The operation of that gun, the mechanics of that gun, the dependability of that gun. I know that you shoot a Benelli, um, mm-hmm. How important is it when you see so many different people coming through your operation? And I'm, and I'm sure that they have everything, every manufactured gun out there, yep. pumps, automatics. Um, how important is it to have the dependability of a Benelli when you're hunting in that mud that you hunt in, in that clay that y'all hunt in, in, in different in elements, the with, in the sand? The, I mean, your guns get destroyed in, that el- in those elements. Mm-hmm. How important is a Benelli in, the, in, in, in what you do? Well, I'll tell you this. Everybody of the, let's see, one, two, five, six of us that work here. That's what we all shoot. I own one, one, two, three. I have four Benelli Super Black Eagle twos. Were you just looking on your wall and counting them? Are you looking at them right now? Yeah. They're right there. Do they make you, don't they make you feel like, like fuzzy inside when you see them? Yeah, they do. Like I saw and, this weird and, and look literally like, face. and I, I, you know, I, it seems like I buy another one every year. Just, you know, I'll find someone, usually a client or a friend that doesn't like it and I'll buy it. You don't it have me. a three? Nope. Oh, listen to this bar. You ever heard of Burning Man? 
It's this big yeah. hippie event we have in the state that you're oh, from. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm you, from Because you kind of did, you disowned our state. You left us. I did not you, disown you. You claimed Texas. Man, everything's bigger in Texas, man. Yeehaw. I'm John David. Welcome to the Dude Ranch. Y'all saddle up now, partner. Still I'm just not kidding. as big as Alaska, though. <laughs> I love Texas. Um, here's my barter. Bring your wife in there. Bring Allie in. Holler to her. She's she's gone. At the store. Mm-hmm. She's at the store. Okay, this is my barter. Okay. I wanted I know that I have this duck painting coming. Yep. And I've commissioned her to do some work. Yep. I want a fish picture like that one behind you that y'all that Sabini did. Mm-hmm. That Sabini bought. I mm-hmm. want something vibrant in color like that. Okay. okay of a fly. I want to see the fly. I want to top feeding on a fly on a dry fly. Okay. I want a commissioner for a piece of this. It could be whatever trout you want it to be. Maybe a brown, maybe a brown out of the little trucky. And I will trade you. I will give her a super black Eagle three right-handed. And then it's up to her if she gives it to you or not to shoot. And I don't know how much she shoots shotgun. So I will trade you Benelli for a commissioned fish picture, fish painting. I'm serious. Are we, do we have a deal or do you have to talk to her first? Yeah, perfect. I would think but that you, you want, do- but just to make it clear, you want her to draw the fish, not me, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm talking about Allie. What is her yeah. Instagram at Allie? What? Allie Beck Stanley. I think it's Allie Beck. I told Stanley. him, in I, don't the, I, I don't have my phone on me. I told him in, in your dad's podcast, check out at Allie. Is it a L L E Y or, or I? E-Y. I don't remember. A L L E Y. Allie Beck Stanley. At Allie Beck Stanley. A-L-L-E-Y? Yep. Allie, A-L-L-E-Y, Beck, B-E-C-K, Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y, at Mm -hmm. Allie Beck Stanley. Go check out this woman's paintings and her fish. And now she's doing some ducks. I just saw a little sneak peek of my mallards. I saw a sneak peek of some widgeon. She is absolutely on a different level of talent. So check her out and contact her to commission a piece from her, but she is badass. So then we got a deal or you got to, I, I just check with deal. her first. No, you can't do that. You cannot. I will. I don't want to say that word, but you cannot. What's another word for pimp out whore out. You can't do that to your wife, John David, just cause she's a good painter. You can't do that. You can't trade. You you got to, she owns the painting business. You have to partner up. This is the problem with marriages in our country is that we just think that we can speak for each other. Right. And yeah, Allie, by the way, I made a deal with Chad for a Benelli. You have to paint him six pictures. She'd be pissed off. No, that's a great deal. <laughs> that's a great, so you got yourself one hell of a deal. Okay. Yeah. So ask her when she gets back, do we have a deal? And then text me. Cause yeah. I'll get that going. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. And I, you I, need a new I, banal. I mean, you need another gun, like a hole in the head. Well, and the, and the reason I have so many of them is because one, we have, we have some groups that come that don't bring guns. Right. So we give them all banalis. Um, for several reasons. One, the reliability. Two, when they do fill up with sand, there's four pieces when you take one apart in the field and it's easy to clean. You know, I mean, they're just, they're workhorses. That's, that's all there is to it. And you, I've been sending you some black cloud, that combination of the Rob Roberts choke tube. And I always say the high vis sites, the Rob Roberts choke tube, the Benelli super black Eagle two or three, even some of the originals SB ones. And then the black cloud. I mean, this stuff is bad to the bone. You always are texting me saying, dude, this stuff performs. And I'm not just saying this because they're a partner. You, you hunt a lot. You've shot everything and you love this shit, right? Yeah. 
I do. I mean, and it's, and it just, you know, when they, particularly for me, when they changed the, the wads to where you could run them through a pattern master, that was a game changer. So you like using a ported choke too. And, you know, Rob's got some, well, I ain't going to talk about that right now. But, yeah, the Black Cloud, it, when it went to that new flex wad, you could run it through a ported choke tube. I mean, and it shot cleaner. The new shot mm -hmm. does. Have you shot any of the TSS? No, I haven't. Do yourself a favor and get some. Ooh, there might be another barter in here. How You don't yeah. want her to get carpal Bison. tunnel. Hello. You don't want her to get I'm carpal tunnel. I'm not sure when I'm going back to work. I can't afford DSS. <laughs> oh, so you're going to have Allie get all of this. All Well, if she paints some more and she doesn't get carpal tunnel, you know, or, what, what did Ben Stiller say and Billy Madison? You could have a nice cup of shut the hell up. Arts That's and crafts right. time starts. <laughs> you used to know those words. Oh, your fingers hurt? You just pulled yard duty. <laughs> Ben Stiller was a you-know-what in that movie, dude. Oh, he's the God. Man. Oh, he's freaking hilarious. He hasn't made a movie in a long time. I don't no. remember. Dodgeball no. was awesome. Dodgeball was awesome. Meet the Fockers was awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot of his. We used to watch all of those at the Duck Club. Your dad is the only guy out there that still has a, v, a, a DVD player rolling, dude. Everybody else is like satellite out there, but the new cabin is going to be dialed in. Are you know, excited cabin, for it? The cabin's gone. Dude. I know. Are you excited for the new one to get there? I am. I am because I helped my dad design it, and you know it's gonna it's, be sick, huh? Yeah, it will. It so, will. Before we get back into the essentials, are you an owner down here where we, where you're sitting? What's the deal there? Are you allowed to talk about this at all? Can't talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not an owner. You're not. So saying, a guy named I'm Eric, just... a guy named Eric Guggenheimer owns it. No, Justin Hill owns it. Oh, see, they would do way bigger business if the the last name of the owner was Guggenheimer. <laughs> Guggenheimer's Guide Service. Tell Justin that he needs to change his name to Guggenheimer, too. Yeah, that'll be a hard no. <laughs> that'll be a, a hard pass. So the ammo, the black cloud is key. So the, there's there, these essentials I'm talking about are like what you need to make your operation run and you have to perform daily. And so does your gear period. And now you got the gun, you got the ammo, you got the scouting. Um, let, let, let's move into how important the concealment is and the hide of once you're into these, these fields, you are, you are making sure that you're wearing the right camouflage patterns. I know that you can get away with more in a panel blind if it's weeded up and natural vegetation being used to build false lines. Talk to me about your hides there. And because one thing about outfitting is that you could talk to somebody about their blue until they're blue in the face about don't show them your face. Don't watch the birds at all time. Stay down. But people want to see the action. And as an outfitter, you want them to see the show. So how are you securing it to where look, is that Allie? Yeah. Oh, wait, let's interrupt this. Inter we bring you this interrupt. We interrupt this program to bring you this announcement. Jesus criminy, dude. What do you got going? Allie, get back on screen, please. Allie, come here. Allie, 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 Bear. Allie Beck. Allie, can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Allie, where are you at? I got to see you when I talk. You can't be a stranger. Allie, uh, he's got a really good deal for me. Everybody I mean, meet Allie Beck Stanley. Look how beautiful she is. Look at that smile. She's from Alberta, but she is an American badass now. I've been bragging about your painting skills, right? I've been, I just teased everybody about my ducks. But while you were at the store, I guess it's a B double E double R U N, huh, John David? Was that a beer run right there? 
Oh yeah. Wow, what a wife. Necessities, bro. God, you got you hit the jackpot. So Allie, you know, when you were when you were gone making a beer run for your little hubby there, he commissioned you out to trade a Benelli Super Black Eagle 3 right-handed. Is it 26 or 28-inch barrel, John David? Uh, uh, 26. Is it black or unless, do we send it to... Unless you can get a 24. No. Do we send it to Rob Roberts and have him get it dialed in with the sear code and the, and the choke too and everything? Oh, he wants... So now he wants this, the special edition, the Pro Shop Gun Alley. Yeah. And we commissioned six pieces from you to do within the next three months for me. Six, it was one. One? <laughs> I got the tape, said, dude. I could rewind it. I could rewind the tape. You want me to play the tape? You said one piece. You wanted a fish coming up out of the water eating the fly. I said six fishes. I want them in squares, side by side by side by side. I want six different species, and I want the last one to be, the seventh one to be a shark, like coming up eating and eating a dry fly. <laughs> yeah. Eating a dry Perfect. fly. How cool would that be? A shark coming out of a river eating I mean, a dry. It wouldn't be realistic, but it would look cool. Yeah, but that's nothing in life right now is realistic. Can you? So, Allie, it was. It really was. It was just one painting for the trade of a Benelli. Okay. Because I see the the look in his eyes when he looks. Look at her, John David. I want to see if you get the same look in your eyes looking at her that you did on that gun wall just now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> You're all right, Allie. So are, is this a deal? Do you accept this deal too? Because I would not do it unless you knew oh, about yeah. it. You yeah. do? Yeah. C tell her to come closer. I can't hear. Uh, yeah. You're accepting this deal? <laughs> yeah. Why not? It, is the gun for you or for John David? I mean, I don't. Really, Early birthday present. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> what's, what's his is yours now? Well, I mean, yeah, no, but he's, he's good at sharing. Hey, Allie, do me a favor and behind you, grab that painting that Tom Sabini bought, please. He showed me this on his phone the other day. John David held it up before we were come closer. Look at this. You guys look at the masterpiece. Look at the realism. God, that is so cool. Thank you. How long did it take you to do that? This one was actually pretty quick. Um, I didn't really have a plan with it. I just was working on some new techniques and, oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it was pretty quick. I just was working on some new techniques and um, just kind of did the background and then just started cutting in with some black and white and kind of turned it into a tarpon and yeah, just kind of went with it. So it wasn't, it wasn't super long, that one. I know it's rude to ask ladies how old they are, but how old are you? I'm 29. How long, when did you start doing that with the oils and, and, and doing what you do with painting now? Um, so it's kind of a, kind of a complicated answer, but a uh, short version is when I was about 22, I painted for the first time. Um, and it was just so that I could have decor in my house. It's a long story, but I was literally so poor. I couldn't even afford to put things on my walls. So I just painted just for the kids, you know, to have cool things in their room and for me. And then she met and a then... goose guide and now she's loaded. No. <laughs> no. Hey, well, I mean, what, dude, I don't know of a better living you could make. You get paid in um, cash and you spend it before you get home at the ammo shop. <laughs> Yeah. And yes, then, she knows uh, what I'm talking about. How many years ago was it that I painted that fish for Cook? Five. Um, and then it's a really long story, but a good friend of ours introduced me to a bunch of super cool, badass girls in the fly fishing world. And uh, so as a thank you, I painted a fish for him. And I was like, man, 
this is really cool. Like I could go somewhere with this. And it just, yeah, like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. it started taking off. So. Wow. So you guys get introduced through a mutual friend and is the fly fishing, the common bond that you guys hit it off with right away is because I mean, John David's a master fly fisherman. We all know that like his dad. So did that, attra- is that what brought the conversation in when you found out that she was in this fly fishing world, John David, or were you just attracted to her for the way she looks or did you actually look at the substance for a minute? No, no, we actually <laughs> met before she started fly fishing. Yeah. I had, I had fly fished one time. And it was the one of still to this day, one of my favorite memories of my entire life. And I just wanted to learn how to do it so bad. And then I found out he was a guide and it was, that's pretty sweet. (laughs) So is she good at it now, John David, when you take her out? Is it, is it like, you're like, wow, she picked this up. Like she picked painting up. Yeah. She's very good at it. Wow. Like that's a cool, I don't know if there's a better talent to have in all of outdoors. I think duck hunting and goose hunting is absolutely phenomenal, right? I think that it is more strategic than any other form of hunting. Now people are going to say you're an idiot for saying that. I don't care. I will argue it until I'm blue in the face. Deer hunting, sheep hunting, elk hunting. I love it. Their strategy and all of it. But the strategy that goes into the day-to-day consistent success of being a duck hunter and a goose hunter is on a different level. And that's how I think about fly fishing. I think to be consistently successful in fly fishing is a different level of outdoor prowess. Absolutely. I, I think I think offshore fishing is awesome. I think that marlins and sails and all of the different billfish in that category and the tunas and all that is really, really cool. And I think that when you're on a boat with a crew that knows what they're doing, they're like surgeons, right? Like they're like a team of surgeons in a hospital room operating when you hear, see the operation, but watching John David or his dad on a river, like the Deschutes river in Oregon, or even the truck, you're the small truck and watching what they can do or my brother clay with the fly rod and matching the hatch and using a nymph for a dry fly. And, and then John David's, I see all these pictures that you're texting Sabini of these flies that you're tying right now just that part of it the artistic part of fly fishing is so freaking badass you when i was in arizona talking with charlie blackman who's if you guys listen to his podcast john david look into charlie blackman he's the starting right fielder <coughs> excuse me for the colorado rockies mm-hmm. obsessed with fly fishing so i bragged on you and your dad for Sweet. ever with him um, he wants to come fishing sometime, but he's literally like that loner, lonesome kind of guy that just likes being on a river, a river runs through it kind of mentality, Brad Pitt, which I compare my physical looks to a lot. And yeah. he, you know what just I'm talking like him, about, but different. <laughs> almost the same, but different. <laughs> and so, but when he's talking, I'm like, his approach to fly fishing is like a lot of our approach. And you and your dad taught me a lot of duck hunting stuff, but it's a lot of the same approach in the mentality of a duck hunter of matching the hatch and matching the decoy to the species and species specific, and then matching the call and the vocalizations. You think about everything that goes into consistently being successful in waterfowl. In my opinion, it's the number one deterrent of more people getting involved in the, in the, in the life. I know it's more expensive and I know that it's colder weather and it's wet and it's all of that stuff, but success is few and far between in the waterfowl world because there's so many different elements of the spectrum to master agreed or disagree. So agreed. Yeah. And I, and I think I, I, unfortunately, I think the biggest deterrent in waterfowl hunting, and I know you've talked about this with my dad, Look at the knowledge you have to have to go legally shoot a limited ducks. That's part of what I'm saying, though. Just to identify them. You need to Just know. Just identify them. It's, it's An so... average flyway, what, 14 species generally are always around? 
Yeah. 12, so it's 10. like it's like matching that hatch and knowing well, those you can only shoot one or two of. Yeah, you shoot over your head and you're over your limit in redheads or cans, you might be done. Me and your dad your dad and I talked about that about when he was in Virginia and you'd shoot a, a black duck and you'd have your hundred points, points for the day and you're done. Yep. So I think of it so when I think ten green wing teal. Yeah. When I look at Allie, when I think about and I look at Allie's body of work, I I think of the same thing of a fly fisherman and a painter and an artist and matching the natural environment and being able to put it into a realistic form. And that's what is special about passion. That is, if you guys have Netflix and I talk about the show all the time, it's called The Chef Show with John Favreau. He made mm-hmm. a movie called The Chef back in the day, 10 years ago, whatever. Very, very good movie. If you haven't seen it, watch it during the quarantine. And then I'm like, I'm watching the new chef show that he does with Chef Choi, who's a master chef trained in French cuisine. This dude's Korean, but he is an absolute, not but, that's not the right vocabulary to use. He's just, he trained in French in French cuisine, and this dude could literally outcook anybody I've ever seen the way that he presents his food. But the way he presents his food and the way he looks at his food is the same way that Ali would look at a canvas, the same way that you would look at a goose spread or a, a flock of geese feeding on a field and you start putting together like, all right, all right, I see it coming together. And if you look, if you think back of, look back in 10 years or 12 years of, of the TV shows that I've been involved in, I talked about this probably three years into it, Allie, of duck hunting, goose hunting is you wake up in the morning and you have this blank canvas and you start throwing all these colors and all these oils and all these paints at it. And the next thing you know, you got your blinds and your concealment. You got your dog, you got your decoy spread, you got the sunrise, you got the blue skies. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing, I'm putting together my masterpiece of a hunt. You got the first flock coming off after the sun's up a little bit and the lights on the decoys. And then you throw in the other part of what John David's special specialty has always been in calling. He's the best I've ever heard all around game car. I, I talk about how good he is on everything from snow geese to specs to Canada's, the lessers and big Canada's, the ducks and whistles and, and, and turkeys and, and coyotes and all the shit that he can do on a daily, just easy. He's been able to do that since he was a kid. Yeah. Now you throw in that part of the masterpiece and now you got this whole different element, the jargon, right? Our duck call company is called jargon for reason. It's the jargon. And then after that, your masterpiece continues. Now you got the dog retrieve and now you got your knife and now, which is your paintbrush, right? Or your calls, your paintbrush. And now you got the knife and you're just meticulous, you know, precision cutting that meat off the bone. And now you start to envision a totally different part of the hunt. Now you go back to my reference of the chef show and all this inspiration that I'm getting of these, this little Korean guy and this actor that's made millions of dollars. He's a multi, multi millionaire, John Favreau, right? And he literally could do anything that he wants. Did a dog run in? Kids? Kid no. patrol? No, dog <clears throat> plugged my computer. Oh, is it all right? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It just said, you know, your your computer is gonna die. Oh, so you now you now you start to envision this entire different part of the hunt, which is now the masterpiece of the chef, right? And John Favreau's worth millions. He's made so many movies with, you know, Iron Man and he directed Iron Man and, and all the stuff that he did with Vince Vaughn. And then when you see the look in his eyes, when he looks at his food, you're like, God, oh, look at that passion. Look at that love. That dude could hire anybody in the world to cook for him. And he, he cooks nonstop and he doesn't just do it for the camera. And then he visits all these spots. He was just in Austin, Texas, visiting Franklin barbecue. The, passion and love that this dude has for just this Franklin guy that owns Franklin barbecue, watch that episode on Netflix and watch his love of the knife when he's cutting the cap and the fat off the brisket. 
And it's what you do with painting. It's what you do with decoying and calling geese. And then you mix the fly fishing part of it. There's not a cooler way to live that's, life. That's there's not a cool, there's not a cooler way, but you can't get that with golf, dude. Yeah, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah, you John can. David, I will argue this till you're blue in the face. You might get competitive and you might go back and play another you round. Get passion. You telling me that you get the same amount of passion on a golf course that you get when you see the sunrise over a goose decoy spread? No, I'm not that good at it. Yes, you are. You're a scratch golfer. I was. He's very good at it. He's very good at it, which pisses me off how good you are at a lot of shit. I'm not just, I'm not saying, I take it back. Hey, I'm some not of saying, us are just born athletes. Some of us have to work at it. And I had to work at it a lot. But some of us are born <laughs> Brad Pitt. Some of us born looking like Brad Pitt. Yeah. Some of us have to work at it, but I take that back. Maybe some can get it in a golf course, but I'm telling you, man. The, the well, feeling... no, what I'm saying, I wasn't talking about myself from the golf aspect. I was talking about. It, I know, you know but I'm telling you, PGA golfers, they find their passion in the duck blind as opposed to the golf course. I think, I think that's just a job. I don't, people say that you can get to know somebody really good on an 18 hole round of golf, go on a duck blind with them. Oh, that's, that's 100% true. Yeah. But I think. I think the 18 holes of golf is relative, no different than, than the hunting. Like, you know, if that's what the person does is their job, then you're not getting that person at a hundred percent of who they are. You know, Agreed. like when you go hunting with Drake or Zach or Leith or. So you're telling me that if you go to a red hot golf course or the the golf courses in Canada or, or wherever you and Allie have been golfing together, you're telling me that you're going to see the same passion at the driving range and on the first tee, second tee, 18. I know that you play from the women's tees too, John David with no, Allie. No, no, but what I'm you, saying, you, no, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. You're going to tell me that you see the same level of passion that you see in her eyes at a blank canvas or that, or that you you see when a when geese are approaching your decoy spread no here's where you see the passion on a golf course when it's over if, you know erase a tournament forget about people that are competitive that are very passionate about what they do um where you see the passion in an in a in an amazing golf course is in the design that's completely different now you're going to the artistic Come level on. i'm that's talking no about those, playing golf that's no different it's painting a picture that's that, but now you're talking about a designer and a builder and a and a yeah. visionary as opposed to playing what, around. That's a, what you see. Okay, I can't argue that. I'm not going to argue that part of it. But now you brought in a completely different realm that 90 percent of the guys that walk a golf course course are not going. Man, I'd like to sit down and see the blueprints and go over this with Jack Nicholas or Ben Hogan or the guys that designed <laughs> all of these courses. I'm telling you, those guys are on a different level of artist. Art. What's the word? Not artistic ability, but. There's a word that 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 goes with artist that is about the way their brain thinks. I can't think of it right now, but their brain thinks on a different level than just playing around a golf. Now, no, I don't know if Jack Nicholas had that, but I think that he was but, commissioned I mean, to help design a golf but, course but because of his knowledge. Passion, like you can't say somebody like I mean, for me, I grew up watching him. Obviously, you know, Tiger. Yeah, last year at the Masters was that was that's the Tons greatest comeback. That's Tons. the greatest comeback that will ever happen in sports. There now we're talking. I I get it, but I'm he's talk- passionate about what he does. There's no doubt in my mind there is. But on but a that whole, guy, that guy's not about winning. T- like, it, it, you know, I for, I forget who said it. You know, because in quarantine, like you have nothing to do but watch YouTube stuff and videos and everything. 
someone said it perfectly that Tiger's only competitors ever in the sport have been history. Yeah, that and himself. I mean, he beat himself up more than anybody could ever touch him on a golf course. Well, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, but but you think about the way he played with reckless abandon all the time. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't because he was the best ball striker in the tournament. It was because he was the artist and figured out how to make a good thing out of a really bad. There's, I, I can't, no. I'm not, I would never argue with you about. And there's no one out there more mentally tough than him. That it has not, again, me and you could, we could have this discussion on sports and sports psychology and all that. That's a completely different bag of worms. I'm simply saying that you are not going to go to a golf course and get in a golf cart with your buddies and spend 18 holes and get the same thing out of what you're going to get with your buddies in a duck blind. I truly feel that in my heart that there is something about duck hunting in the serenity of a river and a fly fishing excursion and putting paint to canvas that is more than just going out. And now people can argue with me. I'm talking my well, opinion. It's, it, and here's why. In my opinion. A lot less depends on you hunting or fishing. You don't have to make everything happen. You're fine. You don't have to, don't worry about it. I can hear it vibrating. Who's calling you? Super Dave. Was that your dad or or the other Super Dave? Supreme. Yeah. Dave, Dave Supreme. Again, one of the best. I, I agree with that too. That, that's somebody you need to talk to, dude. Didn't he, isn't he moving to Reno full time? He's in Reno. Isn't he back full time though? Didn't he yeah. take a construction job or something? Yeah, but you should you should interview him about goat hunts and stuff in Alaska, man. Like he's 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 literally one of the most talented human beings I've ever met in my life. Well, let's set it up. Can you see me messing with this mic? I can't get it to stay still. Yeah, it keeps swinging back into me. <laughs> I don't know. They're so advanced. I'm on. I'm I'm not at the level of these microphones to even know how to work them. I need to get clay in here. But I, I, again, we don't have to. I'm not going to argue that that people don't love golf. I just think that, no. But I see what you're saying. But the problem is, is is golf is physically demanding. Not more than golf. Not more than duck hunting. Yeah, it is. Oh come on, dude. There's no way you walk through mud in the Stillwater Marsh and waders and That's, 18 that has degree nothing, weather. But. It's different. That's not physically demanding. It is, but it's different. Not what? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's different. You're telling me that hunting's not physically demanding. Like I'm not talking about sheep hunting and climbing to thirteen thousand feet either. I'm talking about duck hunting and goose hunting, day in and day out on your body, your ligaments, your tendons, your joints, your ab muscles, or I'm muscle. I'm talking about. I'm talking muscle. about precise physical ability is not required for waterfowl hunting. Precise physical ability. Actually. Now I would say, <clears throat> I would say that the better shape that you're in, you are going to be a better hunter for longer. You're going to get 100%. more, you're going to get more out of the hunt no and you're not, all. and you're going to want to go more because your body's not going to break down. So that again, nope. I could argue that through science too, that, that, and you're dead on right because a sheep hunter out West that follows Steven Ranella and, and wears QU has a completely different physique than most duck hunters. When you go to a biscuits and gravy 
food truck in Arkansas in the parking lot of Max after the hunt. Gravy and Kersey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my God. But you know what I'm saying? Duck hunters are known for being a little bit bigger or they could be out of shape and they stand up against a tree and they blow a duck call. The best duck caller world champions in the world, in my opinion, have not been big and out of shape is, is that, that get the, the, John Stevens is tiny. You know, some guys have been bigger, but not big, big. You have to have some kind of lung capacity and the ability to control your breathing and be and have some type of athleticism to be good for a long time in anything. In my opinion, I really feel that you have to have some kind of a, of, of the right mental attitude and the men, mental approach. True. You have to be well, able that, to be mentally strong. That's that's what but, that's but what you link, can't you can't be big and fat and out of shape and have a long that's what links all of it together. What links this microphone to stay still? duct tape <laughs> that fixes everything you know i think that there's sort of something to be said that everybody gets passionate from different things right that's why the world is so beautiful because people get passionate about different areas and then there's all these different levels of awesomeness in virtually everything but i think what's sort of um similar about like the hunting and fishing and painting aspect is that for me at least as an artist, when when you go out to play golf, I think what you were trying to say is it's entirely on you. Like every single second, every breath, everything is on you. So it's very like, it's like a competitive nature, which is what you were saying as well. And then when you go out and you're, you're hunting and you're fishing or you're even painting, there's, for me at least, a very real feeling of surrender where it's like, I'm going to give it all I have, but to some degree, like this is in the universe's hands. It's in nature's hands. It's, it's out of mine, you know, and, and you don't get that with golf. It's, it's in your hands with golf. That's a good way to think about it. I, I agree with that. I think that might have something to do with what John David and I are saying as far as you are dependent on mother nature, you're dependent on wild animals. And maybe that's what brings the passion so much into hunters that, that are one with that. Like when you talk, when you hear Rogan talk about what he experiences on the elk mountain Mm -hmm. and you know, we're talking about the essentials of duck hunting and this is an essential of duck hunting is, is, is being around people that with that passion and Mm -hmm. finding that mentorship to to get people to go, man, I want to go back and do that. And I think that I've heard it so many times, JD, and I'm sure you two have also is that when somebody goes duck hunting and they see the camaraderie and the fellowship and the kinship and the, the vocalizations of being able to talk when you can't really do that on an elk mountain or in no. the Turkey woods, you get a lot more of that. No, in the duck social hunting. aspect of waterfowl hunting is far greater than big game hunting. Huge. And I think that I think all of that goes into this canvas I'm talking about that when you're out there and you're experiencing that and you, and you do get to, see ducks finish or geese finish over the decoys and then your dog run out and bring one back and shake off and you put it on your rope and you're and you're hanging it on your strap right and it's in the blind you keep looking over at it yeah you hang your dog jd come on dude who are you michael vick stop so did you see i got my microphone to stay dogs (laughs) yes stop it but anyway there's so much that goes into the app the actual hunt And then when you take that part out of it and you think about what happens after the hunt, think about all of the passion that's going into that. There's a lot of it. I, I see where you're going with this and, and 
the biggest thing people need to realize is there's a lot that goes into a successful hunt that is never seen by somebody right that facilitated the hunt you know i mean there, there's a lot of work off subject so to speak to make that hunt happen oh yeah like what you're saying the about hunt justin, is a little right? wedge of the piece of the pie all of that preseason communication that justin has going on with landowners what crops are growing the network everything building it's, it's no different, all of that. it's no different than the canvas bag I worked out there since I was 13. I worked there for 15 years. Right. That's the passion that I'm talking about that gets people going in this sport. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Maybe people are that passionate about golf. I can't imagine as, as, as much as I, when I, when I drive by yeah, a golf I can, course. I can say that because golf's it's, it's, it's relying on, on my ability, right? Because it's you, there's no team. It's you. There's, there's no doubt. It, there's, but it's golf similar. Takes a special it's, athlete it's no to be good at. Than guiding. Well, to have a positive outcome, it's, 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 it, 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 to me, it's the same. It all falls on me. Well, yeah, but you also are dependent on Mother Nature too. Right, but it still falls on me. Well, the the pressure of being a guide falls on you because mm -hmm. a good client's going to be like, well, we know that you're a hell of a hunter, JD, and we know you scouted your ass off with your crew here, but then all of a sudden it froze last night. The full moon might be affecting something. There's all of that that goes into it where a a a, a good client will understand that, and they're not going to be you know busting you up or saying we're never coming back here. We want our deposits back. We're not hunting tomorrow. Give us our, you know. There's a lot that is. I quit guiding. Because internally, I couldn't. What's that? What? Oh, I thought. Did you say a joke like "Thank God for the waterfowl world"? Like because I started. Well, yeah, yeah. You're way better at it than me. Some people are suited for it. My personality was the amount of pressure that I would put on myself during the day. I didn't like the way that I'd feel. And then when I would leave and I didn't have control over it, and other people were in charge of those groups that I was sending in there, I felt even more pressure. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm not there. I, it's out of, it's all, it's out of my hands. And then you mix in the mother nature factor. That's truly out of your hands. No matter how many weather reports or weather apps you look at, it could 100%. still be out of your hands. Right. Yeah. The, the dose Equis is really making me thirsty. I'd appreciate it. If you quit doing that, that's like, look at him, look at his, he looks at those beers. Like he looks at the Benelli's. I know my beer, my Benelli goes in to my belly. Let's write a song. Okay. Go. You're up next. Next line. If you, <laughs> but it, I don't know. We can get off the subject of the passion of the hunt. I just think that, I just think that the, the, the aspect is this. My, if I yeah. woke up every day and I golfed, there's, there is, there's some serenity in that. There's some competitive edge being fulfilled there. I get that. Your short game gets better. Your putting gets better. Your chipping gets better. Your long game dog lever. If I saw myself in those clothes, I'd kick my own ass. All of that stuff gets better, right? I always throw that line in there when I'm talking about golf. Yeah. I, I think this is what I'm going to end this with. And you and Allie can decide for yourselves amongst your conversation over your dinner tonight. And hopefully you're cooking something on a Traeger and not getting takeout, John David, during the quarantine. Or yeah, supporting local restaurants. In a, in a town of four restaurants that are all closed. Well, if they're closed, buy some gift cards and support them when they come back because it's sad times. Sonic's yes. open. I don't think there's a cooler way to live than being able to throw all of those paints at that canvas and 
whether it's physically like you do, Allie, or <clears throat> the satisfaction that comes with s- guiding, outfitting, scouting. Now that we're back into the essentials of life, the essentials of duck hunting, scouting and binoculars and guns and ammo and dog and hiding and processing, butchering and preparation of the game and feeding the bounty to your friends and family like you and your dad and I probably cook and serve more wild game during the off months of the season more than anybody I know. There's so many people at our houses during the off season eating wild game. It's amazing. Setting that hunt up, visualizing that hunt, throwing your colors and all of your paints at that blank canvas and setting up your masterpiece seeing your dog bring back that duck and shake off and putting it on that strap putting the knife to the meat painting that picture executing it as an artist high-fiving your buddies taking some pictures hashtag awesome hunt hashtag smiles make piles or whatever you say right piles make smiles whatever it is more than that makes smiles is my point and oh, if you look 100%. at if you look at the over the overall theme of what I just described, and now you're sitting at that table and you're drinking a cold cocktail or a bottle of wine or a Dos Equis Green or a Bud Light or whatever you're drinking, what is there a cooler way to live than being that provider mentality and starting to paint with passion because you're too poor to put decorations on your wall in Alberta, Canada, and it turns into being a badass artist. <clears throat> Because you saw it and you executed, you visualized it, you executed, you lived it, you dreamed it, you, you, it was your, it's your life. It's your passion. I'm not saying that you can't get that out of golf. And I'm not saying that Tiger Woods didn't practice with everything that he had in the tenacity and Mike Tyson right. didn't do the same thing. He was heavyweight champion in the world. Mm-hmm. But is there a cooler lifestyle to live than living off the land like that and applying your colors to that blank canvas and painting that picture with the essentials of duck hunting, goose hunting, waterfowl hunting as a whole, and then being able to look at your wife and your kids and your family across the table and your friends shooting a game of pool when you just ate specs or whatever those pterodactyl things that you talked about at the beginning of this podcast, the lawn darts. Is there a cooler way to live than that? Living off the land, growing a garden and having the passion for applying you're, no, how about how about we fresh salmon all summer? Yeah, is there a cooler way to live? Allie and Uncle so Sam. So now do you see what I'm saying? Is there is would you rather do that or be or be shooter McGavin? What's your call, John David? No, I'd rather do that. What? Provide. I'd rather I who wants to be shooter McGavin? Well, red lobster, sizzler if they're open. Right, happy? I'm just saying that. You, you, I, you can't persuade me that you get that on a golf course. You can't throw your paints at the golf course and go, man, this is the coolest lifestyle to live. I think what you get, what you get out of it is when you make a truly great shot in golf, it's something that, that is, it's, it's not a simple shot. It's, it's, it's the, the engineer and the artist comes out and you make that happen. It's the same thing. It's the same feeling. It's not, it's not the whole, it's not the overall day. It's, it's one shot out of 68 or 72. I can't argue that. I I mean, I played, I played because because all of that homework that's gone into it has made that moment happen. No different than a, than a good hunt, whether it be waterfowl, big game, doesn't matter. Like all of the work that's led up to that point and you made that shot happen, 
whatever that may be, whether it be, you know, the perfect decoy spread and the perfect day, the day where the birds just do everything by the book, or it be, you know, I mean, any of that, it's, 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 a, it's the same feeling. I understand. And I completely agree with the waterfowl aspect of it because it, I know just as well as you do, like I enjoy hanging out at camp with my hunters as much as I do hunting with them. That's part of it. That's part of that eat. blank canvas, dude. Because that's that's and my. Do you enjoy I mean, hanging out at the I clubhouse? Mean, Do you enjoy hanging a, out at the clubhouse with the golfers after as much? Huh? Yeah. I'm just wondering. Like, do you it hang depends. out at the bar and? If Bob Barker's there, it's pretty fun. <laughs> the price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> but. But I don't have know, you I, ever played golf with John Daly? I talked to John Daly all the time. I talked to him day before yesterday, and I know that he's very passionate about golf. Um, no, I'm, I'm telling you, that's how every golfer should look at golf. Because yeah. I played with, with John when I was 13. I, I, I've hung with John. I've been to several concerts with him. <clears throat> I think he's awesome. I just don't think that you get the same thing out of anything in life that you do out of the outdoors and hunting and fishing and being an artist and applying the paint to that canvas. That's all I'm saying. Well, you, yeah. you it's, agree? It's what, that's, that's, that's what, what we're we were all. It's going back to your roots. It's, it's, it's there. That's a great point. It. It's not even your roots. It's your, I mean, it is your roots, Literally, but it's your ancestors. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we were hunter gatherers before we were vegetarians. Yeah. Way before, way before I just, I, <clears throat> Maybe I'm terrible at wording and my voice is cracking right now. And I've been doing podcasts after podcasts after podcast. Plus I'm, I'm rapping with Alyssa, like nonstop. We're making these rap videos and, um, you know, so our, that to hit. our goal is to get a hit on that from, I'm waiting for <laughs> Rockefeller records to call me right now. I'll be like, yo, Jay-Z <laughs> let's lay down, you know, the King of Reno rap. But I just don't think I just I'm, I might not be saying it in the right way. I just think that as a, 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 a duck hunting is more than a golf course. It's more than a good shot. It's more than an engineered Scott shot or reading the wind. I get it. That's all important to life. I just my I'm not saying that golf's not great. I'm not saying that baseball's not great. I'm saying that my I, I'm a baseball player at heart. I love baseball. I'd do anything to be a major leaguer. But I don't know if I would trade my career to be a major leaguer anymore. I might like just like I'd like to be a drummer in a rock band for one concert at the biggest stadium in the world, I think would be unbelievable. But I just think being a hunter gatherer, fisher gatherer, conservationist artist and being able to throw your paints at that canvas and visualize something and then being able to hold it up and, and, and hold that play to meet up or that painting that Allie produces and go, look. This is what we were put on earth to do. We're hunter gatherers. We're providers. There's it, and, and on top of that, you mix in the part about what we said 30 minutes ago about how hard and difficult it is to be a consistent, successful duck and goose hunter. 100%. That's all the, that's all the cool. I mean, same with archery elk cutting, same with, you know, being a badass sheep guide in Alaska to consistently be good at it. You can't be half ass and cut corners. And I think these essentials of duck hunting is what I wanted to get across is there's guys like yourself that are making their living in the outdoors, living off the land, depending on these essentials. And I think that your voice, and it's very important, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it, is really 
and we're not done yet because we're going to get to the, you know, there's more essentials. There's the dogs, there's the preparation of the meat. We don't have to talk about them all today, but you're not getting off the podcast until you blow a short read goose routine, not a routine, just some notes. You're going to blow some notes on your Tim grounds. You don't have a tip. You're wearing a well, hat. I, I have a question for you. <clears throat> God, my voice is just, I, I don't think I could be, do in, my concert tonight. And I don't think I'm going to be able to go on stage. All the turn around all, every all the now and then I get hunt, a little sorry. All the canvases you've painted, all the hunts you've been on, what's been the greatest one you've ever been on? Oh God. I mean, almost impossible to answer, right? No, but the one it's not. Well, you think that you're telling me that you know the one I'm gonna say? Is that what you're getting at by that statement? Yeah, because I had the best one I've ever been on in my life this year as well. Well, the one that the one that I tell everybody is the closest, most dearest hunt of my life was one mile from where I'm sitting right now to the south, and I'm in a uh, I'm in a, a just an alfalfa field, and the geese come off this golf course, and it's foggy. It is Christmas. Oh, really? It's they came off Red Hawk? It's de- yeah, they come off Red Hawk. It's December 24th, Christmas Eve, 2005. And it was the last hunt that I ever went on with my dad. And we laid underneath a fog, and the geese would come off. It, th- this was December 2005. My dad passed away on August 9th, 2006. So this would be the last hunt that I ever went on with him. And we it was unreal because my dad, what I mean, I was it was before we started the foul life. It was before we started banded and I had been working with Avery. So I'd got to hunt with Freddie and I'd been to Canada a bunch of times already. So I've been there, seen it to where, uh, yeah, I, this could be cool, but it's nothing like I was going to see in Saskatchewan, right? That we were hunting hundred geese probably. And they would come out and you just hear, and my dad, would, I would look over at my dad out of my left eye out of my peripheral. And I'd be like, this dude's like, my dad died at 54. So he's 54 at the time. And, uh, this 54 year old man, like a little kid in a candy store, like he kept sneaking up with his gun. Like you'd have to tell a nine year old to relax. I'd be like, pops, chill out. Oh, leave me alone. They're not going to see us. They're, there's too much fog. And I'm all anal. I'm like, we got to finish him. And Charles Opio's like, just let him do what he wants. You know? So you'd hear whir, whir, and I hit him whir, whir, and they would just drop through that. And you've been on a fog hunt, like in California with the specs in the, in the widgeon or whatever. And my dad was so happy. We were smoking these big Canada's and I got the picture on my wall framed and that in, in now, I've been on way better hunts as far as like the power of, but I've never been on a more meaningful hunt looking back at it that if I, if we would have made an excuse not to go that day and experience that to where it was hugs and high fives and, you know, going to the lake bar and grill after and having breakfast with Charles Opio and, and, and Jerry Harris was there. I think that I would have to say out of all of the Arkansas timber hunts of landing big groups of mallards in the trees and Kansas cornfields and Washington, Columbia basin, mallard fields in the corner of the Yellowstone river. And I mean, I've hunted all over the world in Argentina and Uruguay and all over Canada and all over the continental United States. I'm very blessed to do what I do. And that hunt was a mile from where I sit right now. And I've traveled the world chasing freaking ducks because I'm addicted to it. And you're partly to blame for that because you, my roots go back to being working, you know, with, the early 2000s, I met, no, the er, the late 90s, I met you and your dad working at a gun counter through a guy named Darren Elmore. Rest in peace, Rick. I still, we haven't even touched on that bullshit that happened. But um, you think about going from that and not knowing anything to this driving, this just passion that just kept growing from buying a uh, Mossberg 835 Ultra to a uh, goose flute by, you know, the big river goose flute and then meeting Tim and Hunter and you and your dad and all this stuff. And then hunting all over the world. And you asked me that one question, it's 
took it happened a mile from my house in a in a field of geese that were living on a golf course and it, it was because of what it meant to my dad and having you know me being a part of that so i would say that that's it i've seen a lot you know where you live i've been on hunts there that blew my mind in texas well, this year in texas it, it was it's not about numbers it's about the experience that's why i wanted to ask you that where what did you think i was going to say that one or which one were you no, gonna think but I was gonna say? what's funny is the year before that I don't think you went. I went with Clay, Clint, and your dad. And to we Toulon? went to Truckee on New Year on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I might have been there. Was it out by the power plant? Yeah, it was at Haas. Yeah, I bet you I was there. I don't remember that one. I no, I think it was just Clint, Clay. Yeah, maybe I, I wasn't there. Reason. Where's Allie going? Are you leaving, Allie? Tell She's her going we're to all... check on the kids because they're coming in the house. Oh, they are. But. No, I mean, for me, like, it, it was, like, you spoke about it, like, Rick Elmore, like, oh, that dude, that's, that's the man who taught me how to goose hunt. He, he loved Canada goose hunting, man. He taught me how to do it. My dad's not a goose hunter. No, no. Nope. He is now, but he wasn't then. And Darren and Rick were my next door neighbors, so Rick taught me how to goose hunt. He passed away December fourth on christmas day i gave my oldest son carson the shotgun that i received for christmas when i was seven from rick nope from my dad took him hunting went out and there there the geese had kind of moved around on water holes so there had been about a thousand of them sitting on this water hole it didn't matter i just wanted to take him hunting so Allie and Dexter and Carson and I all go out there and Carson misses the first 14 geese that he shoots at, at less than 10 yards. Right. I mean, they were little bunches. They came in perfect. This flock of five specs comes in and I tell him to shoot the one with the bars on the right and he shoots the one with the bars on the left, which it didn't matter. He killed it. Right. Flying didn't matter send my dog Django out to pick it up and Django turns around. Don't even say it was banded. Was it really? <clears throat> Rick was looking down on you. Yeah. That's cool as shit. Dude, and I just, I lost it. Allie's like, what's wrong? And I was like, that's some things are just meant to be. No, Rick was a stud. That man. was Rick, man. Like, and, and it was just way too soon. But that, that guy, you talk about someone who, who spent the time watching birds and gla- glass time watching geese. Rick could, could, could barely blow a goose call. And he's he was, one of the best goose hunters I knew. He knew how to I've get on. I remember that too, his scouting and his setup and his hiding and his quietness he, and his flagging. The way he'd set decoys up, the way he'd set all of his – paints up to make that canvas come to fruition yep was better than anybody oh well let's give know. one let's end this by you doing a tribute to rick elmore on a short read goose call i'm putting you on the spot you would always tell me to stop calling so that's not a good idea well turn your chair that way a little bit away from the microphone and get a and and don't aim it right into the computer and just hammer out a little tiny short routine with you got a g overhauler there or what call are you using mainly? A G Force or which one? Oh. What'd you reach for? Real thing. All right, let me hear it. 
But hang on. No, the reed's split in it. Um, You're telling me you don't have a goose call right by you right now? No. I got one right in front of me. I wish I could hand it to you. Uh, I got a you, spec call. No, I don't want to hear a spec call. God, they don't even sound cool. I got the first and the last goose call I ever received from Tim Grounds, though. Well, hit it a little bit. It doesn't have to be tuned perfect they for you. Guts, no. They don't? No. You don't have a tuned Canada goose call there. That's embarrassing. You didn't read the rider? No. What do I got? What do I got down there? just grab that lander there you go all those ebay bands ebay that's my favorite one that one right there what is that tim grounds gave that to me when i was 12 years old really mm-hmm. yeah tim grounds too rest in peace hey bub love that goose call oh, here. talking to him i miss talking to butch let me hear it. That's life, dude. I missed I I missed talking to Tim too. I'm so glad that we came back together. Butchy boy. Hey, burb. Butch is awesome Man. too. All right, let me hear it. This is John David Stanley. That's what is that? A real thing? Huh? Real thing? Yeah. Okay, let me hear it. Turn away. Turn away from the mic a little bit. Hammer down on it. Let me do some of that guide shit. Nah. oh it sounds good that's a killer call what was that g g force g overall g overall that's my favorite call that the grounds crew's making have you talked to Hunter lately? No, I haven't. That's a cool. Is that a super mag? No, it's the. I don't even remember what it is. It's before they started giving it a name. I think it's the super. I think mag. it's the G Force. Oh, is it a G Force? Number ten. That's a cool looking call. Thirteen. Wait till you see my little shrine I built for him when you come back out here. All right, John David. Well, thank you. Um, text me and let me know if Allie's serious about our barter, about the Benelli and the print. Oh, she's serious, bub. <laughs> she's serious. <laughs> All right, let's talk about it coming up. That's John David Stanley. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Today's episode was brought to you by our friends at Gerber Knives. Please check them out. Please support the partners and sponsors that support us. John David, any closing words? No, man, just thanks and keep doing what you do you're doing good thank you buddy i'm trying my hardest i'm gonna go cook on the traeger right now good. Oh, send me brett, one of those too would you that's brett, enough alley you're doing another art piece for traeger <laughs> i well we might be able to make something happen if i get to come down there and goose hunt that invite must have been lost in the mail huh? busy bro oh i'm busy bro yeah exactly so am i when i can't call traeger what exactly they're what? open 24 7 365 no they're not no Thank you for being on this. We will, uh, uh, Brett Cannon loaded me up with some fish. John David finishes his Dos Equis in record time. You look like Booger in Revenge of the Nerds, dude. Chill out. All right, John David. Thank you, brother. Love you. Your dad is uh, close by, but I can't even see him because of the quarantine. It's weird times. Everybody stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay home. 
check out our sister podcast this life ain't for everybody check out new episodes of the foul life airing right now on the outdoor channel this week we're in canada with buck paradise outfitters my man barkley fisher and grant kuypers chasing mallards and lesser canadas up there by the northern saskatchewan river the outdoor channel thank you guys so much this is 2 a.m logic the song is called my foul life written by yours truly performed by the rock band 2 a.m logic like i said before out of idaho falls idaho enjoy this thank y'all very much peace Uh uh-huh.